Hello, this is Brandon Ellis with Industrial Automation Doesn't Have To. In our last podcast, we spent a lot of time on the doom and gloom. In this episode, though, we're going to focus on the bright side. We're going to do away with labor shortages. So join us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. In case you're new, I'm Brandon Ellis, and I'm your host and also the owner of Elatech. As we jump into today's episode, I just want to ask you to hit that follow button and subscribe button, depending on the platform that you're listening on. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy what you hear today, please go to the show page, scroll to the bottom, and leave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Now that we've got the marketing out of the way, I want to say thanks for tuning in. So let's get started with today's episode. Hello, this is Brandon with Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. It's Friday morning where we are, so you'll be getting this podcast on a Tuesday or thereafter. But I am here with our marketing manager, Miss Beth Elliott. Good morning. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning, everybody. How and it are is you? morning here. It is. So, uh, on our last podcast, you had mentioned that we record on Fridays, and so it's always a kind of a relaxed time. And I was kind of... Uh, you were not. a little bit because it was a short <laughs> week, but uh, this week's been very, very busy. It has. But very, very uh, productive, and I, I like productive weeks. So what has been going on then? What have you been hearing about lately? As far as stuff I've heard about? Yes. Okay, let's see. It's it's. There's a lot of chatter going on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot on the news. There's a lot of stuff. You know, and I'm not going to belabor that stuff. Everybody's heard of the great semiconductor shortage. We talked about the resin shortages and all this material shortage and the doom and gloom inflation. That's a very real thing that's uh, happening. And we're going to talk about some other issues. We talked on the last podcast, of course, we alluded to the labor shortages, Mm -hmm. uh, which is affecting every industry, not just manufacturing. But uh, I've heard some interesting things things this week with some of the meetings that I've had the opportunity and the the ability to have uh, with some high up folks and some some corporations. And one of the things uh, had to do with uh, there's a renewed focus. And I say renewed because probably a decade or more ago, maybe a decade and a half ago, it was a big push. And that was but I don't know that we termed it this they're terming it today, reduce your carbon footprint. Okay, yeah. And so how do you do that? Well, you know, companies have done this in every industry for years where they make investments in wind farms and solar solar farms, I guess they would call them, those kind of things. But this is a more, more exact approach, which is to begin replacing pneumatics or what I call anti-air. Anti-air. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you got to tell me. Yeah. Anti-air. <laughs> so basically, we want to start going, the manufacturers need to, to start specifying on new equipment, but also uh, retrofitting in the equipment, getting away from the need for compressed air, or at least as much compressed air, reduce the need. And the reason is, is because compressed air has been shown to uh, be a very expensive resource as far as compressing the air. Compressed air systems through plants have uh, all manner of leaks and inefficiencies, and so the compressors are always, always running. Oh. And so when you consider the energy usage yeah. of a compressor, and especially these, lo- you know, these large plants that have many, many, uh, you know, five, six, ten, twelve, how- however many of these large screw compressors and things of that nature, they run constantly. And so if you can switch that to electrics, uh, electric actuators, electric presses, um, and getting and even hydraulics uh, is messy 
Yeah. Uh, but also there's a, you know, hydraulic oil. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you've got that to deal with as far as environmental things in that nature. But to be able to do that with electrics, servo electrics, electric actuators, ball screw actuators, which we've talked about in the past, mm-hmm. and, and belt-driven actuators, those kind of things, uh, to be able to do that on a small and large scale uh, is one of the things that companies are trying to do to reduce their energy usage, which honestly is real money, uh, but also to reduce their carbon footprint. Uh, there's a big push uh, to be greener right now. So that's one of the things. That's a good thing, about. yeah. Conservation. Conservation. That's a good, that's a that's good right. thing, yeah. And it, it would save them a lot of money, too, in the would, long run. It would save money, and, and it makes for a quieter machine sometimes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then also... Because um, well, that compressor would be loud, wouldn't it? Well, the compressor is usually back in the room because, yes, they're very loud. <laughs> but uh, but you have all the all all of the air leaks and, and then you're exhausting air and things of that nature with the manifolds and that kind of stuff. And so uh, while that is music to my ears from... from you A know, sales being, point? <laughs> well, not just that. Honestly, from designing, designing machines oh. and then getting to hear them work and oh, yeah. hearing all the valves popping and things of that nature is part of that. Uh, but uh, but yes, air is not very economical and not very green uh, anymore. And so certainly that's something Elatech can work with you on. We we have have done this for quite some time uh, with our lines of electric actuators and our expertise with motion and things of that nature. You know, the other thing is we talked about machine condition monitoring uh-huh. a few podcasts ago. It doesn't have to be unmonitored, I believe, was the podcast. And so we we were specifically talking about predictive maintenance or predicting when something basically giving a tool that allows someone to see when things are about to fail okay. without actually having to endure the failure. Mm-hmm. So then you can do predictive maintenance which means we're going to schedule it versus unpredicted maintenance which means well you got it, people working and then they they suddenly they can't. It breaks. <laughs> that's right. So uh, that's the point of condition monitoring which we've done a lot with Balif and 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 other folks uh, on that using our iota. But there is a large push right now. We talked in the last podcast about one of the things that's happening that's leading toward has is emphasizing or or making the pain point even larger of this labor shortage is the fact that we are seeing the generation they call the baby boomers exit the workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll continue to see that across the next five, six years in mass droves. Um, and so... When they leave, their experience leaves. Mm-hmm. And as I said in the last podcast, we have not done a good job. I think psychologically our generation came in. I can relate to some of this as a young engineer. And the baby boomers were already in place. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, uh, oftentimes I would say, when we would try to express a new idea or understand how something works, we were met with, I'll take care of that. You take care of this other thing over here. Oh, so you don't get to learn that. So we didn't get to learn it. And after a while, we just subsided and said, fine, you take care of it. (laughs) And we'll take care of this other stuff. And now, as a result, we have not done a good job of insisting that we understand those things and passing that down. Some of us have had the opportunity to learn it anyway. I was fortunate enough to be one of those because... My mentality is I, I want to understand. What, I want to know what you know more out of intrigue mm-hmm. than anything. And so, um, so there are things we see, I see, even see now with our people as I come in and I refer to older things. 
uh, I actually met with a customer, um, an engineer, uh, and, and she uh, was uh, referring to DOS computers and things of that nature. Now, she's very young. Uh-huh. And, and I, I was like, wow. And, I, and she's like, it's really old technology. And I said, it is old technology, but you know the fact is your value is going up because you know the old ways of doing things and the old ways of troubleshooting those things. And we're that's a skill that's perishing right now. Yeah. And so I truly believe that's the case. But, but anyway, circling back to the point, what I'm hearing is AI. Okay, the artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. Oh. That was the wrong one. No, that, that's the wrong one, too. No, 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 that's the wrong one, too. I'm getting my sound effects in, though. You sure are. There we go. Artificial intelligence. Sorry, guys. You had to endure a lot of sounds. A lot of sound effects. <laughs> well, I'm making up for my not using them for a while. I can't remember. It's been too long. It has. Uh, all I have for sound effects for those that want to know how the magic happens in the studios here at the <laughs> podcasting centers of Elatech is I have six buttons with numbers, and I should write a little note to say which one is. But uh, my memory is is failing. Anyway, AI, artificial intelligence, being able to utilize artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is when a machine learns, mm -hmm. okay? It's not a slow process because the way machines learn is they it's take a lot of goods that we have to tell them are goods. They take a lot of bad scenarios. These are all scenarios that are not exactly the same, but kind of the same. But you said it's not a slow process? It's not. A, it's. I'm sorry. It's not a short process okay, is what okay. I should have said. Um, thank you for correcting me. Um, the reason the baby boomers have 30 years experience is because of 30 years. Yeah. That's a lot. To, that's a lot of time to learn. <laughs> that's right. And AI machines being not human, we have to give them memories because ex experience is based upon remembering a past experience, right? Mm -hmm. That's wisdom. And that's what we're after. So there's a push for companies to try to use AI to create a tool for those who lack experience to be able to tell them what to do. Kind of a Siri for... Oh, for machines? For machines. Yeah. And to take the place for age-old experience. And now what we're talking about is, and I don't know if you've ever met these kind of folks, but they can walk in. Maybe it's a Maybe it's a mechanic, but maybe it's somebody at the plant floor. It's the same thing. Where they walk in and they hear something, they feel something, they see something, and they can instantly tell you, Oh, you have a problem with this. You need to go. You need a new water pump. You need whatever. You know, they can tell you yeah. just from experience. That's what the push is right now is to try to create an artificial intelligence that's capable of telling someone without experience what the baby boomers are no longer going to be around to tell you. Okay. And that is quite a task. That is. But it, and to use your word from the last. I think from the last podcast, that's fantastical. <laughs> well, I guess it can be done. I mean, it, it'll take a while, though, won't it? Well, it will take a while. Now, it won't take as long as the 30-year veteran yeah. because humans also forget. Yeah, I forget a lot. <laughs> and, and assuming you have enough memory and a quick enough processor because a computer won't forget. Mm-hmm. So it's going to remember. It's going to be able to scan through every memory that you've given it. Okay. So it's a shorter process there. But then the algorithms of trying to determine the difference between, okay, this is kind of a good and kind of a bad. What is it? Do That's you, the complexity. It, 
would people still need to be involved in that for some to like, start with? Okay, okay. Because we have to, as humans, we have to tell it this is a good, this is a bad, and so all AI systems. I mean, there's there's a lot of sensors out there that will set up fairly quickly now. Vision sensors. It's not a vision system. It's a vision sensor that use AI. Okay. Uh, and so they're snapping images, but we have to give them so many goods and judge help them judge as goods to in the original setup. If you really want to get it set up and working fantastical, <laughs> then you you really need to devote some time to get, you know, quite a few goods and quite a few bads. It could take hours. It oh. could take days. If it's according to the type of application, it might take weeks, months or years. Okay. But um I mean literally the more memories they have the more the algorithm has to work with. And the better the AI, then. The better the decision-making. Okay. More experience. Uh, and that's what you're trying to do is programmatically give an artificial thing experience. Okay. And that sounds really great. It does. The problem is, why are we having to do this? And that's that's we're paying for what we did. We're, we're having to try and do these things because we failed to get that information transferred down to the younger generation. But if it works... If it works, there's... I mean, there's hope then. I mean... There's two schools of thought. Like a, you know, like I said, there's always a pro and a con. True. Uh, but essentially, on the one side, we're giving an excuse to not have experience, to, to, not, to not rebuild what we're trying to emulate. Yeah. And the way we... And essentially, it'd be this, this scenario would be teaching someone to use a calculator so they don't have to learn math. Oh, okay. And unfortunately, that results, I think, in someone who's less knowledgeable. I agree. Because um, you, don't, you don't understand the concepts behind right. it. That's okay. right. And, and it's missing those concepts. And I don't think until someone can actually develop something you've seen from the movies uh, that's able, a robot that's able to actually fix itself, actually build more of itself, replicate itself, which I don't know. That sounds like a horror movie, too. It does. Uh, but, it sounds uh, like Terminator to me. Yeah. Um, until you, you've got that kind of cyborg mind or whatever that's called. And in some cases, I mean, we're getting close. Look at AGVs. AGVs make decisions all the time. Now, what are AGVs? Automatic guided vehicles. Okay, okay. And Ooh, so, yeah, those are neat. Well, and that's something we'll be talking about sometime oh. in the future. But, uh, yeah, I mean, used to, they just followed a magnetic tape on the floor. The ones nowadays that we're doing actually have sensors, and they can look out, and they can tell people from, from oh. posts and things of that nature, and they know their environment. Uh, if you've been on LinkedIn, uh, you've seen uh, the folks that have the autonomous robots, and they have that dog dog robot. It's it's usually yellow and black in the color. And a friend of mine went to work from, for them, and I, I need to grab my phone. I can't remember. The name of the company has left me, but they make these fantastic things. Oh, it's Boston? Boston Dynamics. Boston Dynamics. Yes. That's it. So a uh, friend of mine, an old customer friend of mine is working for them now, and so I, I follow him, and I get to see a lot of this stuff. But those those beings, whatever those are, those the stand-up biped robots or whatever they call them, or the the four-legged dog-looking robots, yeah. uh, they make decisions. Oh. They, they go. They go on a path, and they can say, oh, that's stairs. I'm going to climb stairs now. I'm going to jump over this. I'm going to squat and go below this. They make decisions. And so that kind of, of stuff is there. It's really interesting. Wow. That's just – that blows my mind. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> so um, 
But but yeah, so that that AI component and and trying to do that is something that in manufacturing specifically that really uh, we're trying to work on, and 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 Alitech is trying to work on that as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's not something that's ready for release anywhere. I mean that's that's trying to do our part to to use the products that we've got to help customers as they're trying to develop that are into developing those types of things. But uh, that's what I've heard. What have you heard? Well, I've got some new data that was released earlier this right. month. Um, Beth data. Yes. <laughs> no, this is actually from the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. It finds that U.S. manufacturing bounced back from April's job losses, adding 23,000 jobs in May. However, a separate labor report finds that job openings in the U.S. manufacturing sector has hit an all-time record of 700,000 job wow. jobs. 700,000 jobs. That's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to fill. So that brings us to today's title. And today's title is Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to be doom and gloom. Yes. So we're going to focus on how Elitech is helping manufacturers automate to overcome the labor shortages. So Brandon, you've got some brandology on Reasons to automate. Do you want to go over those? Yeah, we've gone through that before. Um, it doesn't have to be hopeless. Was that the podcast where I introduced? we introduced uh, my four reasons to automate? I believe so. So, again, just to make uh, – for those that haven't – first of all, brandology is my thinking, we're, we're my coining. thoughts. <laughs> um, it's not necessarily – Good advice, but it's always interesting, right? So, uh, but four reasons to automate, and this is my my the things that I tell our customers and and people who are considering automation. This is not a pick two type of of, of situation, but it is. You cannot pick all four. Mm-hmm. You shoot for as many as you can, but one needs to be your primary reason. Okay. You may benefit across the others, uh, but. Uh, if you don't have at least one of these four, you should save your money and spend it somewhere else. And so, number one, quality and consistency. So if, if a robot or automation automated solution can do it with better quality, increase your quality of whatever you're doing, the task, or the consistency of the task, if that's the goal, a person can do it, but they can't do it as well as if we automate it for whatever reason, then that's, that's something uh, decrease cycle time or increase in production, just number of parts out the door. So if it, it can do it faster, a person can do it, but it can do it faster. Uh, reduce labor. We always say reclassify labor, especially with the labor shortage especially today. Especially now, yeah. Because of those 700,000 jobs, uh, I don't know what the current statistic would say, but uh, I would guess that roughly 50 to 60% of them have workers, potential workers. So uh, right now, uh, nationwide across all jobs, uh, we mentioned in the last podcast, you know, uh, that, that of all the jobs that are available, I can't remember the exact statistic we had last time, but it was roughly half, uh, half as many workers. I yes, think it was roughly was, 8 million. Yeah, and there was 4 million workers. Yeah, yeah. so it was roughly 50% of workers to fill 8 million jobs. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get there from here. Oh, goodness, no. And so there is a very real labor shortage. Uh, so getting back to the four reasons, to be able to reclassify the labor that you have, and we talked about in the last podcast how I'm a proponent for instead of you spending your dollars raising your wages to try to entice people to come to work for you or to pull them away from other industries, um, which is what you're doing if you have 
only 50% workforce. Yeah. Uh, now is a good time to, first of all, I would take care of the people you have. Absolutely. Uh, and just make sure that they, they stay. And then number two, I would take the balance of the budget and start looking at making automation well, you said money's cheap. Money is cheap right now from a rate standpoint. It's not going to stay that no. way. Inflation is also very real, and it's happening. Uh, I, I would, based upon the, the economic analysis analysts that I follow, uh, that I respect uh, and follow, there's many that are assuming that roughly this time next year or maybe soon after Q3, Q, Q4 of 2022, we will see a, a significant rate increase as far as prime rate and so um that's going to affect the cost of of money so now now money is very cheap it's a good way to do it uh, a good time to do it but reclassifying this labor by you know taking care of the medial tasks those kind of things uh, which we'll talk more about but that's a good reason to automate and then lastly flexibility quick setup now really that has to do with uh, when i come up with that i'm talking about changeovers and things of that nature that take place with machines that that are have multiple run multiple parts so maybe they have tool changes and things of that nature mm-hmm. sometimes we can use uh servo driven actuators and things of that nature even robots uh and basically say okay you were running this part now you're running this part and the machine backstops change automatically tool nest relocate things of that nature move slide over whatever uh to accept the new part versus the old part without having to have someone come in and oh and do it the undo manually. everything and manually retool and, and change the setup and everything like that so that saves time it also uh, that's the quick setup part but also it reduces labor yeah you don't have to have somebody go over there and change it <laughs> that's right so those four things quality increased quality decreased cycle time uh reclassification of labor and you know, quick setup or flexibility of an existing machine to retool quickly. Um, those are really four primary reasons that I can come up with to automate. And you, it needs, your focus needs to include at least one of those. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do the quick setup, we just said, you also have the benefit of potentially reducing labor. Yeah. Um, you also have the benefit of, of increased production because it's reduced time. You also may have the benefit of quality because it gets, it's consistently, uh, you know, set to a to a consistent point. So your benefits can certainly span. Yeah, they can overlap each other. But they can, but you, you need to go into it with one primary thing. If increasing quality is your primary objective, then you can't get upset if if you don't decrease, if it takes longer. Oh, okay, yeah. You see? Yeah, I understand. Um, because you're, you're gonna, you may have to, you may see benefits across multiples, but you may also have to, uh, compromise a bit, uh, yeah. But pick your focus. Why are we really doing this? Okay. Um, so that's what I would say. Right. So, brandology. <laughs> so let's go through um, some automation from like office. So I like it. Uh, let's take this job and automate it. <laughs> okay. So hold, hold on a second. So so all right. So you're. I'm looking at your outline here. So. So you're talking about ways to, I mean, these are essentially, I'm, I'm reading into the outline, ways to battle the labor shortage. To contend with the later labor shortage. And you're going by department. Yes, yes. Within the manufacturing. Yes, we'll go from office to the uh, floor to okay, okay. the uh, maintenance to the IT. Perfect. 
All right. So we're covering multiple departments. We so, are. So there's there's a flavor for everyone. There and is. if you're the plant manager, grab your pencil and paper. <laughs> so what uh, for the office? We've talked about the office, uh, mm-hmm. how they can. Would you take this job and automate it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about RPAs. Yes, the so. robotic process automation, right. but not what we would say yeah not not robots <laughs> yeah. Uh, but still the four reasons to automate can still still they, come into play absolutely um so rpas that's not something we here at Alatech really do uh, as far as we we don't sell or create rpa processes an rpa process is basically taking a typically repeatable slash menial task so as a scenario if someone in i'll pick a department accounting mm-hmm. their job every morning is to open up the accounting software to open up the, I don't know, the inventory, so, uh, you know, the inventory numbers from, from the inventory control ERP system or whatever, and maybe pull some production numbers from a report coming off the floor and copy and paste in some data into a spreadsheet and then save that as a PDF and then email it out to a distribution. If that's their job every morning and it's always they're clicking in the same places and grabbing some of the same stuff, then RPAs are softwares. They're not robots. They're Mm -hmm. robotic, meaning it's a software-based product that watches their computer, and they can record the process of opening this program, opening this file, copying this this section, all that stuff. It has to be repeatable, Mm -hmm. can be recorded and made to happen. Either a person can click a button and make it happen, or it can even be made to happen automatically at a certain time every day or things of that nature. And so something that may take 30 minutes to do can now be totally done automatically. And so those types of processes can be taking, taken off of the responsibilities of certain uh, folks in the office and now reclassify their time, whether it be 30 minutes every day, an hour every day, something like that, to do something else that is not Auto- that can't be automated it's, like It's not that. easily automated, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And so RPAs are, are becoming more and more popular. Oh, since we did that podcast, there are a ton more companies mm-hmm. that offer this. It's incredible. Because of our podcast? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, that, that's not true. That's not true. No. Um, that was funny, though. <laughs> yeah. All because of our podcast. Uh, we have spurred the industry <laughs> with our influence. Yeah. Um, okay, so but that's so RPAs. That's that's probably the main one for the office department. That's that, that's all I could think of. You know, for that. and then part of part of RPAs again, if you're pulling production information from the floor, that's where honestly we've we've helped customers with our iota to be able to uh, automatically pull a lot of whether it's production data, uh, machine data, process data, that kind of stuff, uptime, downtime. I don't know what kind of KPIs they're pulling, but to grab a lot of that, because a lot of that is derived from the machine, the equipment itself. Mm -hmm. And so still in a lot of companies, they have uh, team leaders, shift leaders, those folks whose job at the end of the shift is to go through uh, on each one of the machines with a a sheet of paper and write down numbers that they see that are displayed on the Operator interfaces uh, on the machines and things of that nature. Our IOTA, if it's especially if it's a PLC-based system, or even if it's robot-based, with certain not all robots, but certain robots, we have such connectivity that at the end of shift, that can be done automatically 
and and also very accurately. Imagine the time that would save. Yeah, and I mean, then you can do that. Actually, you can do that at the end of each cycle and update a record oh. through the day. And so now you have what we call real-time data and not just waiting, having to wait till the next day or at the end of the shift to see uh, what those numbers are. And so if that same production data is key to the RPA, then the IOTA can offer further automation to at least populate the data coming from the manufacturing floor. Nice, nice. So talking about the manufacturing floor, uh, what are some ways on the manufacturing floor that um, can be automated? You know, our focus, of course, of this podcast is the labor shortage and how to battle the labor shortage. One of the first things that I, and I have had the opportunity to walk through, actually. I love walking through plants, unless they're really nasty. (laughs) Uh, I love walking through plants and seeing what's going on and seeing how they're doing things and and honestly learning from their production engineers and their manufacturing managers and production managers. Uh, Because production engineering, manufacturing engineering, managing that is is more of a game of logistics uh, and people management than it has anything to do with the individual machines that are being built or lines that are being built. And so sometimes as a systems integration machine build company, uh, it's easy to get tunnel vision because we, we only focus, we, we zoom in on a single mm. machine or a single process or, or a single line. got to step back. And you got to step back and look at the entire plant. And to watch how the flow works is is it's an engineering feat unto itself. And so we actually uh, have talked with a few people, and I'll, I'll say this. This was this was me watching and learning and seeing something where I thought was pretty cool, where some some equipment that we actually had, had built and supplied some years ago, just by changing the layout on the floor, they were able to set it up so that one person could run the machines versus two people. Ah, so you didn't even have to automate that. That didn't even need to. I mean, it was automated as far as the machine yeah. itself, but as so there was, uh, there, but there was ample time that if you reduce what we call, you remember we talked about all the different KPIs and the the equations of OEE and things of that nature. Yes. Um, one of the classifications took into account what we call walk 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 into, time. Walk time. That's right. And so if you reduce your walk time. Now, all of a sudden, a person may be able to keep up with two machines without without it killing them. Oh. Uh, but, you you know, it's the difference between, you know, trying to do something in one room of the house and trying to do something in another room of the house. If you could just scoot those two processes together in the same room, then now, all of a sudden, you can easily get those things done if you don't have to run up and down the hallway. And so just considering alternate layouts, uh, reevaluate your layouts. And I'm sure... Uh, Every production engineer that's listening to this is like, duh, we've been doing that for the last, you know, three months, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm sure they are. But but that's one way to and you don't even you don't spend a dime on automation. Uh, You just you just change your workflow and change your your layout. What are some other ways? Well, then you can actually get into automation. So we start getting into material handling type stuff, processing. This is more for is this robots? Or? Well, it could be. Oh, could okay. Could be robots. It could be, uh, a, you know, a custom machine. Usually uh, custom machines cost a bit more than just sticking a robot in, especially if it's a collaborative robot. A uh, collaborative robot needs minimized, typically minimized guarding. They do have to be guarded. <laughs> do they? They have to be guarded. <laughs> um, and, and again, as uh, 
our podcast, it doesn't have to be unsafe, where we had Dave Rice uh, as a special guest. Dave with Datalogic, is, uh, he manages their safety group, uh, our, our safety product group. Um, but Dave was mentioning that in the United States, not Europe, but in the United States, the onus, which means the responsibility of deciding what is safe and what is not when it comes to equipment, falls squarely upon the user. Mm-hmm. And in this case, that would be the entity that's purchasing the equipment and is running the equipment. So if you're purchasing the robot, albeit from Elitech or anybody else, it's your responsibility to decide what's safe and what's not. And that includes collaborative robots. We can assist as far as product availability and, and assist as far as certifications and, and the documents by which uh, the ISO documents, the OSHA documents, things of that nature, which uh, need to be referenced. But but ultimately, that has to be decided by the end user. And so you're going to want to guard even a collaborative robot. Yeah. But if you stick a collaborative robot out there, uh, suddenly you can get those things done for sometimes less money than creating a complete automated line or automated piece of equipment. And so we look at menial type tasks for that. Repetitive, just like the RPAs in the office, repetitive things um, that can be done fairly fairly easily. Uh, the other thing that collaboratives do, we were talking with some, some folks just this week about some collaborative options, and one of the um, emphasis that, that they made was uh, the nice thing about a collaborative option is we're still going to guard it, but as far as our maintenance folks, uh, they don't have to be as highly trained and highly skilled uh, as they would be with an industrial robot to use the teach pendant, to know how to oh, to yes. arrest one to come out and things of that nature, to know how to polish up points because collaboratives have direct teach. And the direct teach, if, if, if a robot crashes or something like that, by simply being able to put it in a direct teach mode, then they can actually grab the end of the robot and physically move it out of the place that it's in. It's possible to get a robot so cranked up, if you will, as far as it's it's in on itself or it's up against a bind or something. And every time you try to release, you know, power the ro- the motors and release it, it faults. Oh. And that can even happen in a collaborative situation. Um, with our collaboratives, you have the ability to do what's called mitigation, uh, uh, which is anti-trap. Well, you can actually do that. What it means is if it comes into a collision with a person or a thing uh, for a very short, not very short, but a short time, approximately a second after the collision, it's in this floating direct teach mode, which means that it can rebound or be pushed away. Oh. And so it's called anti-trap because if it comes up against a person and kind of squeezes them in the corner and then in a typical collaborative, it will cut off and set the brakes well, now you're in a bind. Yeah, you're, you're stuck against the wall. You're or stuck what, up yeah. against the wall, yeah. But with if you enable this, what we, they call mitigation, the anti-trap function, then you can actually push it away. Oh. Or it'll relax away. And that's whatever. with the collaboratives? That's with our Hanwha collaboratives okay. specifically. Okay. Uh, not sure if everyone has that capability, but we certainly, you know, that model certainly does, that manufacturer certainly does. But, uh, you know, so the point was how much faster a... Uh, lesser skilled maintenance tech or, mm-hmm. or maintenance person could get that going again. And truth be known, it could actually be a machine associate. 
an operator. Oh, okay. Um, because once it goes in direct teach, it, it, it's in a floating safe mode. They grab it. They move it out. to, a, to a, Somebody shows them move it to this position. Then come out of it and press, you know, restart. And they can start the machine back up. And so reducing downtime is increasing production. And also, you may have eliminated the need for someone in maintenance to have to stop what they're doing and come down there. Okay. So... That's a nice option. The key for the key for labor for beating the labor shortage has to be multidimensional. Yeah. And just just taking time, just like the RPAs in the office, taking time off someone's plate so they have time to do something else without killing them. Yeah. Uh, without all this overtime is is part of that. That's 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 one of the dimensions. And so sometimes automation isn't just about. Um, the choice isn't just about, you know, how fast can we get things through or reclassify labor, but it's also about, again, you mentioned in the last podcast what what companies are doing to keep their people is reducing their workload. Yeah. And so workload reduction is certainly that. And then also, just like this AI thing that, that I went on about a few minutes ago, um, to be able to – we're having to reduce the skill set required in order to get things done. Mm-hmm. And so certainly if you are creative with your collaborative robots, you can do that. So what are some um, what are some of the types of automation that folks can look at to do? Well, pick and place, material handling. I mentioned that. So if, if, if you're taking things out of one, you know, uncreating them, unstacking them or stacking them, something like that, coming off a line, you may have to have vision systems involved. You may have to have your you know, you may have to have a company like Elatech that's got the integration capabilities to, to assist you with that or one of the many machine builders that we support or and work with uh, wonderful East Tennessee area or even a beyond. You may have to have someone involved with that. So, again, it's an investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but vision systems to see where things are so that the robots can come in and get them. But uh, basically to 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 do those, you know, easier picking places or palletizing and things of that nature. So we call that material handling. In addition, uh, uh, there's also processes. So spraying something oh, okay, on. okay, okay. And I'm not necessarily talking about paints and things of that nature because that's a that's a bit of an exact science as well. As for And also it'll blow up sometimes if oh, it's flammable. Um, but... If you're spraying on a lubricant, if you're applying grease, you're applying glue, um, dispensing applications, those types of processes, even actually surface prep. So uh, there's a whole industry of using robots for for sanding and polishing surfaces and things of that nature. Uh, Those are processes. Assembly and inspection, so just picking parts up and dropping them into the jig, that kind of thing, especially if you've got if you've got manual labor situations where uh, you're you're just loading parts in a certain orientation, you know, for there's a company that uh, that we worked with that that basically when it comes time to actually there's there's an even better example that just came to me. For me, I have to say I saw this on TV. Okay, okay? Uh, except I've seen the products, but um, when you go in for surgery. The nurse, I'm sorry if I'm getting the classifications wrong, but there's the surgeon and then whoever's assisting the surgeon. But they set the operating room set up with all the tools in a certain orientation on certain trays in certain places. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in that, that, that means they know exactly where everything is. Yeah. There's consistency there. Well, those are typically done by human hands at, at, at the companies that put those together. Oh, so Whether they're, they're already and foam wrapped or, up kits. Yeah, yeah, okay. they come as kits because okay. they're totally sanitized and ready to go, mm-hmm. and they're all disposable tools. Okay. Um, 
that is something I believe, assuming the gripping means are there and things of that nature for the end of arm tooling, that would be easily done by uh, a clever oh. robot. Uh, any and, robot the, and they wouldn't clever. mess up either because a person could easily yeah. misplace. Grab the wrong tool yeah. or miss one altogether yeah. or something yeah. like that. And so at least a good part of that could be, could be done as far as assembly. Or just placing parts into a, into nests that are going into a machine to have something done to them, those kind of things. Um, instead of having a person do that, having a robot do that is is a possibility. Now, not everything is meant to be automated. Yeah. But if you can find more medial type things through your plant, do an evaluation. That's one way to do it. And then also inspection. So we talked about vision as far as just guiding vision guided robots. Well, this is more about checking to see if things are where they're supposed to be. Sometimes just taking one snapshot from a fixed position is not enough. Sometimes you need to look around it, look in different spots, different areas, and for different things. And so we've been doing that for many, many years uh, with industrial robots, and, and you can actually do that quite easily with collaborative robots as well. And they've got AI in there too, right? Division? Yes. They can. It's oh, according okay. to the to the manufacturer. Okay. Uh, but uh, but even if they don't, once the vision system's been set up at the different positions, you know, it can go from there. Uh, vision is its own science. So it is, yeah. we we have our uh, we have a lot of people that know vision very well. I don't want to discount Alan, but he will not get upset at me uh, for saying Julie is fantastic at vision. And the reason is is because she's passionate about vision. It's one of the things she really likes to do. Alan is passionate about uh, GUI development. Uh, he does a great job on that, um, but uh, uh, everybody has their passions, yes. and so. Um, uh, but Julie does a great job with our vision stuff, and so. Then, of course, there's IoT. You know, we've talked about our data commander. We've talked about the IOTA. We mentioned it for RPA stuff, but yeah, that's just that's moving data from plant floor uh, to the ERP system, and and vice versa. For whatever reason, it could be recipes to set up for getting setups down to your to your machines quickly. Uh, it could be just getting information back to let you know what's going on with your processes, the machines themselves, if they're down, if they're up. If we it can tie in with the condition monitoring systems that we've worked with, so that they can notify and and visualize those things. Uh, so IoT is is becoming more and more of a of a presence and, a, and nearly a requirement. And then we, I mentioned earlier, AGVs. I want to hear more about that. It's automated guided vehicles. Yeah. Okay. What did I say? I don't know. I think you said automated. Yeah. Um, I thought it was automatic, but it's automated. Automated, yeah. Yeah. So AGVs have been around for a while. Like I said, the the older styles uh, put... We would put magnetic tape or even sometimes glue down, epoxy down a a wire, you know, something like that that they they would follow. And they just have sensors that are kind of like, you know, following a rail, so to speak. Uh, but the new AGVs are, are programmable, kind of like, what's the thing that vacuums your house? I don't have one. Oh, no, I don't either. Oh, is it the iRobot? iRobot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Roomba one? That is Ro- Roomba, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so kind of like that, where, but but that's really, it's learning your house. You have and to it, program it, it in there, don't you? you I don't to- know. Because <laughs> <laughs> my, gr- my, my in-laws got one, and yeah. they gave it back. Oh, did they? <laughs> Because <laughs> um, they didn't want to program it. Oh, because of the programming. <laughs> yeah, environment. yeah, yeah. Um, so AGVs, they have to also be programmed. And so, but once they're programmed, they're also capable of looking for certain things. So they can see people step in front of them. They can stop. They can, they can make decisions to say, um, something's in my way. I'm going to navigate around it. 
Oh. Things of that nature. And traditionally, they're used to just you set something on it, and it takes it over to a machine, and a person unloads it. Well, oh. one of the things we're starting to work with, specifically with Hanwha, is an AGV that now supports the robot. Oh, the, is this robot. Sub- the robot is on top of the AGV? It rides around, so the AGV is its, it's, its wheels, man. Oh, sweet. <laughs> it's its ride. And so, so you know, it's kicking the tunes going down, down the way. So now all of a sudden, if there's stuff loaded, it pulls up to the machine, and instead of a person unloading it and loading it into the, the magazines or whatever on the machine, it begins it the collaborative does the unloading oh okay and or loading uh and and then it's basically giving an arm to the agv that's not that's that that's smart so there's a lot of got that's got to go into play with that they both have to work together it's a bit of a thing so uh there are companies that make agvs and there's companies that make collaborative robots but hanwha has both and has released both. And so that's kind of a new product for them. It's new coming new to the U.S. But weren't they, Hanwha was the first to have the AGVs in uh, South Korea, correct? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I'll, Maybe. I'll check on that. I trust your data. Well, I don't trust my memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know the answer to that, but that'd be interesting to know. But uh, but anyway, so not trying to sell our products so much but but it, it it's it, interesting it, it's a labor reduction point to be able to do that to to give the robot wheels that's nice and then that would uh instead of a person having to walk around and do all that uh, mm-hmm. loading and unloading that's nice yeah so what about the maintenance side are you are you done with that I'm sorry. yeah i think okay. that's that, that's quite a lot for the manufacturing floor. It is. Of course, it, that's... That's our main... That's our main focus. So. <laughs> yeah, the maintenance department. And so, uh, again, this comes back to, I would say, the condition monitoring. But but we are actually working with a couple of companies. Um, we had mentioned them in the past, Pathway 7, uh, Kerry Donovan, uh, with his... Um, uh, I think he calls it critical... Mission critical parts uh, is what his uh, solution is going to be, or is he's putting together and beginning to, to market uh, he works closely with uh, companies that have, you know, using condition monitoring sensors and things of that nature, and then is partnering with a CMMS company uh, that CMMS is a central, is it central maintenance management software? Computerized. Computerized. I always get the C wrong. Well, I have a cheat sheet over here. Oh, you have a cheat sheet. <laughs> Computerized maintenance management. I always call them maintenance management softwares. Uh, I always leave the C off anyway. It's system. Computerized. Maintenance management system. Correct. Okay. So your MMS software, CMMS softwares, one company in particular that he's working with closely to, um, and I think he picked them because they have a hosted, most everybody's cloud-based, I guess. Now, I'm not an expert on this, so please forgive me, our listeners, if I get this wrong. But uh, they have a um, uh, a hosted solution versus cloud-based solution. Oh, and in okay. manufacturing, especially the Colonial Pipeline yeah, and for sure. all of the cybersecurity and ransomware events that have just been going rampant, um, a hosted solution is now considered even more ideal. And so essentially what this will do is is his system, and it utilizes our IOTA product as one of the basis points. And so um, when when things start going awry from the condition monitoring sensors, it will take it one step further. 
kind of like the AGV having an arm, in his case, it'll take it one step further and communicate. It's able to communicate directly with CMS software and create work request, create purchase request, create all these things automatically. The CMS software does that, but the interaction says, this is the asset, this is the concern point, this is the what we need you to do, that kind of stuff. And so all of that will happen automatically. Oh, nice. And then uh, does it order the parts and stuff if, like that? If they, I mean, that comes down to the CMMS software. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, if they set it up to do that, I, uh, you know, that it would take from there. The key is bridging that gap to be able to monitor multiple condition monitoring sensors oh. and not just visualize it, not just send a text or an email, but actually interact with uh, a maintenance management software like this CMMS software, I'm trying to remember, I think it's called MVP Plant, or maybe that's their, their product. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't. I should know that. I didn't mean, I didn't expect to mention them, but um, I'm happy to. Uh, and really, uh, if you want more information on that, contact Carrie Donovan at Pathway 7. I'll have a link uh, yeah. to Carrie's info on the show notes. Shout out, Carrie. Um, but Carrie's working very hard on that. We're working uh, very diligently with him. Uh, to help him succeed with that. But it it's a great thing because there's... Well, the maintenance person wouldn't have to go running around to each machine, checking it, and then having to go place the order. And and then you you have, you said like before, the unplanned downtime. Right. You, you would the, you, you would have scheduled downtime. In every, in every manufacturing facility that I've been a part of in the last 25 years, you have your ERP systems that are running off the management systems. You have some sentiment uh, uh, of manufacturing production services, which may be people entering stuff, unless they're using our IOTA. And then you have a software platform, totally separate, isolated software platform uh, that handles the maintenance stuff. And so it's doing work requests. It's, it's, it may or may not be saying these are the parts you need. It may or may not be working with your inventory, your tool crib managers, and things of that nature. But it, it, it is its primary job is to schedule a work, you know, a work request so that they can plan for a scheduled downtime, and then make sure that enough hours are allotted, make sure all the parts that need to be there are there, and then um, keep up with you know basically the workload. So manage the resources, if you will. You've only got so many maintenance folks, and so you yeah. can't say fix everything now. Yeah. You have to mitigate that and schedule that. And so that's where those softwares come into play. Uh, they're pretty powerful. They're basically little, little uh, ERP systems of their own. But to be able to bridge that gap from monitoring on the machines and also take it a step further, even if you're not using condition monitoring, be able to talk directly to the machines themselves. And if they start having the same error over and over or failures on a certain piece of tooling or something like that, if you're able to know which tooling, uh, then that could be kept up with. And once it once it achieves within the IOTA, once it achieves a certain level of occurrences, after so many occurrences within a certain amount of time or something like that, uh, you could set that up to then kick a work request and say, this fixture needs to be uh, reworked or something along those lines. And okay. so that that's certainly a place that our place is machine condition monitoring, CMMS integrations. Is there uh, one other one you talked about? AI. Yeah, the what you you had a different term for it. Bleeding, the bleeding edge. Yes. Well, AI yes. is the bleeding edge. Um, so uh, the term bleeding edge. So we got cutting edge, and then you go further. 
Because you're the, deep you're the cutting bleeding deeper. edge. <laughs> so bleeding edge means that this is still in its infancy. Okay. Um, and that is trying to use, artif- again, that artificial intelligence aspect, uh, just like with the baby boomers and trying to do predictive uh, stuff, to to further learn. We You know, we talked in... in um, it was it doesn't have to be unmonitored i think where we were talking about the the condition monitoring systems yeah. about why not take it a step further and not just be a monitor but fix it that's right be a fixer ai leads to that fixing what does a fix look like what is an okay fix and what is not an okay fix what scenario merits one of those so there's a lot of experience that comes into play there and so the key to AI is giving you, – you can't sell – I can't sell you a monitoring system that knows how to fix your problem at whatever plant you're in because your plant is unique mm-hmm. to your plant and this process is unique to that process. But there's people there that have that experience to know you can change this and it'll fix that or if this happens, do this and it'll fix that or it'll help with that or whatever. That's that experience. And so you have to really, I think, with AI, it's going to have to be giving an easy, simple, and quick means of letting someone, with a human with that experience, like we talked about, teach it as you're going. That's a good, this is a good solution. In this scenario, snapshot that scenario, this is how you fix it. In this scenario, this is how you would fix it. This is the adjustment that you make, those kind of things. Um, or in this scenario, do nothing. Okay. Uh, you know, those kind of things. That's learning. It's just like teaching a person. We have to teach. We have to be able to teach this processor. And that's that's in its infancy. Okay. Not new. We've been working on it a long time. Yeah. Seems but, complicated. <laughs> uh, but it is extremely complicated because you're trying to teach a machine how to think. Yeah. And that's not an easily easily done thing. So what about the IT department? How can that be automated? Well, IT is IoT, man. Yeah. I mean, that's that's All what we've way. got. But also, you know, one of the things, um, you know, we, we, we've talked about getting the data from the production floor to make the reports and all that kind of thing easier. Uh, we've talked about, you know, the term, marketing term, smart factories, uh, where you have all this connectivity and things of that nature. And why do we have an IoT system? I can't remember that podcast. It doesn't have to be complicated or overwhelming or something see here i'm looking through the list it doesn't have to be overwhelming overwhelming that was our second podcast oh really yeah Yeah. we were talking about iot um and one of the things we talked about was why do an iot system so kind of the brandology i remember now because i wrote it down (laughs) to make better business decisions that's exactly right (laughs) iot was invented to make better business decisions to look at what your what your process is and help management make more educated decisions about going forward. That really is the the nature of IoT. Um, but now the IT department, they they've so they've been tasked with connectivity mm-hmm. um, for the Secure last few years. Secure connectivity. But now they're busy, busy, busy with cybersecurity. Yeah. And so uh, that's where our, our IOTA is is suddenly becoming extremely popular again Most uh, among folks. IT departments is because of its hardened cybersecurity uh, that comes with the hardware. That is of utmost importance to be able to, you know, Colonial Pipeline, their accounting systems were, were hacked, but they weren't sure that it 
got to the uh, actual systems that would essentially be the same in a manufacturing plant as saying the OT side of the, or the ma- mm-hmm. manufacturing floor. If you can isolate that as as well as possible, hopefully completely, and the iota is is basically a complete isolation, then you can mitigate a lot of that those chances. I don't want to say concern, so always have concern, but you're going to mitigate the chance of it happening. That uh, makes their job easier, takes the workload off of them, yeah. and that is the one That's of the, the key points of today's. <laughs> Today's topic. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what about, do you have any other examples of um, ways manufacturers can automate? Well, it's not about just automating. It's right now it's about saving Being more money. efficient? It, it, not, not saving money, but reclassifying budget. Oh, okay. Is what I would say. So just like we're talking about reduction in labor, reduction in labor isn't necessarily getting rid of people. It's taking the workload off the people you have so that they can manage within a reasonable time. So we're trying to also avoid overtime. Uh, Within a reasonable time without killing them, they can manage more skilled work that would be difficult, if not impossible, or extremely expensive to automate by taking that off. And so um, by the same token, if you can find means within the plant to save money, to reduce cost, then now that money can be rebudgeted to to spend on automation, to invest in the people you have, yeah. and then ultimately, if you have to adjust wages, to to get new people coming and, and increase their wage. So how do people do that? So one of the ways, and this has happened. This is not new. Okay. This is not some new. This is not a new idea, revelation. <laughs> but now there's a new reason to do it. There's a new motivation. Oh, okay. And that is, and, and Elatech doesn't get into this as much, but there are companies out there, fantastic companies that do, that it's to do an energy audit. Oh. Oh, I bet, yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. So we talked a little bit about being greener, uh-huh. but being greener can be, you know, again, invest in a wind farm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about have a company come in that actually – can monitor your energy usage. Now, energy comes in a lot of different ways. It's not just electricity. Electricity is one. Water usage, you know, power usage certainly, uh, but also this comes down to the air usage. We talked about the compressed air and things of that nature. If you can find a way, you know, I have a good, good scenario on this. We, we actually, I was involved with with back when it was called the Data Commander. A company had set up with an energy audit company. They had gone in and they had on their, I guess they, it was a consultant that basically said you should do this, and they were doing it. So they, they started installing various, uh, in this case it was electrical. They were monitoring electrical usage among certain primary processes, machine processes, manufacturing processes within the plant. And they were measuring the uh, power usage by, by measuring current and things of that nature. And so we can equate wattage from that. Okay. And so... Um, we were just there to pull to pull this information and put it all together. And we put it together with the actual process information, so production information. Oh, so every see. time we're making a widget, we're grabbing the average power for that widget that's being used, and we're putting that all together. Well, when they looked at it, what they realized was they had a few products, not all of them, but a few, uh, spe- I think it was two specific products that required a pretty intense heating, in this case, heating stage. And so heating, a resistive heating, means you're just dumping electricity into some coils, resistive coils. They heat up. 
that's like your space heater, mm-hmm. uh, and then they heat the part. And so in this case, uh, or the dye or whatever, the tooling you're using, whatever the process is, uh, it required some, and maybe we, I don't even know the machines at this point. I just, we were handling the data part. Uh, it's been some time ago. But what they learned was by simply, they ran three shifts. Okay. So if you're, everybody I think is familiar with this, but especially in uh, in industrial, for, for as far as industrial uh, companies using utilities, they have peak times when every kilowatt hour costs more than the the non-peak times. Usually the non-peak times are in the middle of the night. Okay. And so by simply, in their case, changing the shift schedule of when they produce these two specific products to third shift, moving that to a third shift production versus first shift production, and then moving you know, offsetting that with the third shift production, moving that to first shift so that they made those parts during the day, they were able to realize a cost savings of utilities of about 10 to 15%. Oh. And that's real money. That is huge. Just by taking advantage of the lower peak rates. Uh, And so an energy audit will help you arrive at that. Yeah. Um, A lot of companies will do them for very little you know, especially if they're trying to sell sell equipment, that's true. Uh, they'll do an initial uh, audit, and then they want to to they're selling the services to come in and, and implement these things. So if you want to know, a lot of people will do that for for low cost. You know, I, we when we got an air conditioner, TVA came out to our house and did a whole say, audit of our our house. It was it was extensive. It was a lot more extensive mm-hmm. than I thought it would be. It's in their best interest, and, and, and TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority, that's that's our main our main power generator in, in eastern Tennessee and Tennessee Valley throughout Tennessee. You have other other power generators in uh, Duke Power in the Carolinas and uh, Georgia Power down in, in Georgia area and things of that nature, but uh, uh, all across the, the United States. They will happily come in and see what's going on because – Peak power production for them is is they're manufacturing as well. They're manufacturing power. Yeah. And so they have to make sure that all of the transmission lines, the transformers, all that kind of stuff are running. And so if they can take some load off of their equipment, they'll happily do it. Yeah. And so a lot of times they'll come in and do energy audits. They actually gave us a discount. Yeah, yeah. Really? <laughs> and so uh so and that's residential. It was. So industrial is is even more so. I would imagine. Um there's also uh things where um we we use a lot of variable frequency drives and things. Those things put what's called harmonics on the line. And so it makes makes for what's called a a poor power factor. Now, if you want to learn about that, call the University of Tennessee, enroll in electrical and computer engineering, you can learn all about it. But power factor basically means efficiency of, of energy transfer from the utility's point of view. And so a bad power factor means that you're making their system run less efficiency, uh, efficiently, and they will ding you for it. Oh. And so a lot of times they'll force you at plants to, to do what's called power factor correction. They have to add uh, capacitive banks, inductive banks, things of that nature, whatever they need to correct this thing. It's not cheap. Uh, and especially the dings are not cheap. Oh. And so there are times when there are ways that you may be able to change your power factor, correct it internally without having to pay the dings. Okay. Uh, and, and sometimes it can be changing times of day and things of that nature, but also it can be uh, how you're adjusting how your manufacturing processes are working. All that will fall under an energy audit. Okay. 
and it can save a lot of money yeah. uh, in that regard. And so, again, it's not about just, hey, there's extra money. Let's put it in our pockets. Right now is a time to be reinvesting, to be preparing uh, for this labor shortage. They're, they're saying this labor shortage is going to go on for quite some time. Uh, there has been a change, and the reason that is, is I think, is there has been a change in mentality. COVID has allowed a lot of people to enjoy early retirement and, and what that feels like. And wouldn't we all love to retire in our 30s or 40s? It's a, it's a different thing. And so I think, I think uh, people are having a hard time getting back up and getting in the grind. Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing. And so um, it's going to go on for, for a bit. Uh, the semiconductor shortage, they're saying, won't be back to normal levels until like, Q2 of 2022. Uh, so that's still going to be here. That's a long ways off. <laughs> uh, I, I think it, because they're so far behind now. So this is all the doom and gloom. Let's not focus on the doom and gloom. Let's focus on how we can, how we can get and, mitigate this yes, thing yes. and get ahead of it. You know, if you're given lemon, you make lemonade. Make, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, if, if someone gives you gives you a lime, find someone that has vodka. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you you got to find a way to to overcome this. Yeah. And, and again, money's cheap. So. Uh, it's not a situation of, peop- of manufacturers not having work. Yeah. They have orders. They do. They have a buying market. There's demand. There is a lot of demand. Um, the supply of labor is in short in short order right now. And so consider automating because the other thing is automation has a, a distinct ROI. It does. Raising your rates and bringing other people in, I don't, I don't think that's the thing to do. That's a short-term fix. But I think you take care of the people you got already. Absolutely. And then, you, and then once you get their workload reduced with automation, let's start training them. Yes, yes. And, and let's get them trained. You train them internally for the more skilled uh, solutions. Send your maintenance folks to us for our maintenance, maintenance tech, um, technician troubleshooter uh, classwork, and we'll get them up to speed on how they can add a, a laptop to their toolbox Yeah. Uh, and be comfortable about that. Um, I mean, start reclassifying people Yeah. is what we need to do. So I, I've got some things to consider before automating especially for first-time automations. Walk us through. Okay. So first thing is to start small. Mm-hmm. So you focus on one core piece to automate. So don't don't try to go for the whole thing all at once. <laughs> Just, well, the best way to eat an elephant. <laughs> one bite at a time. That's right. <laughs> so it gets the team comfortable with the automation as well. Because you don't want to uh, – When you, I think when people think automation, they automatically think, I'm going to lose my job, and that's not it. You got to make them. You're not going to lose your job. No, there's right there's eight million jobs <laughs> and four million workers. You're not going to lose your job. Yeah, yeah. Now that's not. I mean, if you act out and you deserve to lose well, your job, true. you're going to lose your job. But uh, embrace automation because it's going to make your life easier. It would. Yeah, yeah. And then um, when you start small, you can also show the management uh, a quick ROI on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, have your end goal in mind. So you plan for expansion. And you plan in stages. Mm-hmm. So don't don't look at it like when you said from the plant, don't focus just on one that thing. Mm-hmm. Pull back and look at the whole thing. You got to look at the whole thing, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then um, 
Oh, yes. And can your team support it? Mm -hmm. That is the big thing. And Elitex Training Facility is here to help with that. Yeah, we're kicking our training. We're getting ready to kick it back up. We've got some training starting. We're going to start small. Yes. uh, And kind of work into that. So Right uh, now we're just limiting it to people from the same companies, correct? Still same company, but as as restrictions are are beginning to be, you know, released and loosened up, um, then that's, that's what... Uh, we'll we'll be opening that up a bit more. Um, but we're going to go ahead and get the popcorn machine going. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have the popcorn and the fountain drinks so and fountain. the snacks again. And uh, I think I think everybody's okay with that. Um, uh, it's it's fantastic to be coming out of this pandemic. Yeah, it's a breath of fresh air. I it, think. it really is. I mean, guys, come on. You know, it, it's doom and gloom. Sure, we're going to go through that. But let's embrace the fact that we're... We made it. We yeah. made it through, and take positive in that. We see a positive in that, and uh, and let's let you know. There's some adversity still. Let's let's face it with eyes wide open and and, and together, and we'll we'll overcome it as well. Yeah, and for the training, we can do just about any training, right? Especially our products. Well, our product training is what we're going to start with. Okay. Uh, the, the troubleshooter training, the maintenance troubleshooting training, is certainly something we're. Uh, going to, we were starting to kick that off in 2020. Yeah. And we're going to pull all the uh, curriculums and stuff off the shelf, dust them off, and, <laughs> and try again. So that'll be happening. Uh, honestly, that'll probably, we're shooting for probably Q1 of 2022 uh, to really start kicking that off. You'll be hearing about that in Q4 uh, as we begin to uh, move in that that direction so that's the plan assuming nothing crazy happens like a pandemic or anything so let's go ahead and wrap up we are way we are over an hour oh dear goodness we've gone too long (laughs) i I knew i was but this is a very important topic so i hope you've made it to the end uh so we want to invite you to give us a call if we can help again even if you're not in our region and you're just dealing with some stuff and you want to know uh what our thoughts are certainly uh, reach out to us uh you can uh certainly email us at info at elatech.com you can call us at 865 409-1555 409-1555 and you can check out our website www.elitech.com that's spelled E-L-L-I-T-E-K and then Beth give us all the social media oh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter LinkedIn, just search Elitech or Elitech-Inc that's right want. but I want to, um, I have a big announcement oh go we've had over 1500, 1500 downloads Thank you guys so much. Yeah, that's a fantastic you thing. You guys are awesome. Thank you for listening yeah. and downloading. So as you're, to that point, as you're uh, listening to our podcast and your favorite podcasting uh, utility, certainly uh, you can find us by simply searching on Elitech and you'll find Industrial Automation as a have to. But we want to invite you to subscribe, to rate, to review, and uh, according to the platform you're using, to scroll down and give us a five-star rating. Uh, that, that helps us. Uh, gets us out in front of more people, and we want to certainly our, our our mission statement, as I've referenced multiple times, is to empower our clients, and we want to make sure that we're keeping true to that. Absolutely. And congratulations, Beth, because your marketing efforts oh, have absolutely made this a possibility. It's the listeners; it really is. Well, but if you don't tell them the story that it's out there, they can't they can't find us. So thank you to you as well and your hard work you're doing. So. 
Thank you for your insights. Well, I can't help those. (laughs) So thank you very much. Once again, uh, we'll be here in two weeks uh, for the next release of Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. See you, Beth. See you, Brandon. Thank you. Have a great two weeks, guys. See you.